is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. In this episode, we'll talk with beer and chocolate writer Luke Owen Smith. Luke lives in Wellington, New Zealand, and has worked in both the craft beer and craft chocolate industries in this island nation, giving him insight into what these artists and industries have in common and what they can learn from each other. In this episode, we discuss pairing beer and chocolate, the beer and chocolate scene in New Zealand, the challenges and opportunities for both in a small market, and how craft chocolate can learn from craft beer's growth and its mistakes. Pretty much from the age of 18, I was working behind bars and grew up in England. um, And I was working in real ale pubs and and got really into the sort of real ale and cask ale scene over there. And then I moved over to this side of the world 12 years ago, and I was in Australia before coming over to New Zealand. That's Luke Owen-Smith. Luke and I got to know each other through Instagram due to our shared interests in both beer and chocolate. The circle of folks excited about both is small, and we do seem to end up finding each other. New Zealand is 16 hours ahead of Ohio, where I live, so when Luke and I spoke recently, it was Tuesday morning on his side of the world and the end of a Monday workday for me. Luke mentioned real ale or cask ale there, and if you're not familiar, he's referring to a method of beer dispense common in the UK, in which the beer completes its fermentation in the small cask from which it will eventually be poured. This results in a natural carbonation that is lower than what we're used to from traditional draft dispense, and cask beer is served at cellar temperature using either a hand pump or gravity dispense without aid from pressurized CO2. This traditional service method in the right hands can lead to a gorgeous and delicious pint of beer, but has led to the misconception that British beer is warm and flat. It is neither, in fact. After serving Cascale in the UK, Luke continued his beer journey in a former British colony. Yeah, it was in Australia that I got more into the sort of craft beer, into yeah, the more American-style craft beer, I guess, in terms of kegged and carbonated and, mm-hmm. and different styles. And I worked at a place called Mona, which is this kind of really famous um, art museum and gallery, and mm-hmm. they had their own brewery called Moo Brew. And yeah, it was it was in that time that I kind of got a bit more serious, I guess, about food and beer. It was always just something that I... I loved, but I never thought of it in terms of a career. Um, it was really just something I was doing while I tried to figure out what I was doing, if you know what I mean. Uh, but yeah, it, it kind of started feeling a little bit more like, oh, maybe this is actually a career option for me. And then when I moved over to New Zealand, I um, almost straight away within about three days got a job um, managing a craft beer bar here in Wellington. And yeah, just got really immersed in in that craft beer scene and um as well as running the pub was was hosting a lot of events and um got really into the sort of pairing idea i um organized all kinds of different beer and food pairing events beer beer and pie matching and stuff like that yeah i guess after a few years doing that i discovered the world of craft chocolate i'd always been into chocolate quite a lot but 
you know, just kind of regular supermarket chocolates rather than fancy high quality stuff. And then um, we have a chocolate factory here called Wellington Chocolate Factory, um, who were one of the first bean to bar craft makers in New Zealand. And yeah, I met them kind of very early on, just before the, the big factory opened to the public. And I remember going down there, I think on the opening day or the day after and um, trying, they had a Peru 70% bar. And that was my first ever taste of craft chocolate. And I'm sure you had a moment like this and many people have of just tasting this chocolate that was nothing like chocolate. You know, it was yeah, Peru is such a good one to start with. This particular bar was just all kind of apricots and citrus and honey and so far from that deep chocolatiness. And it was a, a big, big moment for me, I guess. And yeah, I'd, I'd kind of experienced the boom of craft beer and um, particularly in the time I was in it in New Zealand was really like I caught it exactly as it was booming mm-hmm. and I just kind of loved that feeling of of something exploding and, and being part of it and I felt quite strongly that chocolate was going to do a similar thing when I when I tasted this this craft chocolate and from there just got really really into it and started ordering from overseas and because at that time there was you know there was like two companies doing it in New Zealand and there was no international stuff available really it was just not even a thing here so yeah I was ordering from overseas and very quickly decided that I needed to do something to sort of progress the movement here and and so I started my business which was uh, the chocolate bar uh, which was a online retailer and subscription service and I ran lots and lots of talks and events for years and yeah I just sold the chocolate bar six weeks ago and so I'm now moving into a new phase of my career which is very strange and exciting after so many years of being completely involved in the chocolate bar and yeah so that's kind of my history of, of both I've started doing some writing about beer which, you know I've done, I've done quite a bit of chocolate writing over the years um, and yeah now it's kind of cool to come back to beer a little bit and um, but I've just had my first article published in a magazine we have here called The Pursuit of Hoppiness. I wrote, wrote an article about spontaneous ferment beers and yeah, I'm going to do something regularly for them, uh, which is, yeah, really, really cool. And yeah, still doing some chocolate things. I, I, I judge at the New Zealand Chocolate Awards and there's a couple of new things starting this year. We've got the first ever Vegan Chocolate Awards and we've got um, a Pacific Cacao and Chocolate Festival happening in July that I'm involved with. And, doing a little bit of stuff in in both and seeing where it goes. That's a lot of fun. So you mentioned that when you were in England, you were big into real ale and cask uh, service. Does there any presence of that in New Zealand at all? Are there any bars that are doing that? A little bit. Yeah, not much at all. There's like a couple of breweries who specialize in it. And yeah, there's maybe like three or four bars in Wellington that might have one handful. But yeah, it's it's a very small scene here, but it's always nice when you find a good one. So across uh, those years of working with both beer and chocolate, where have those intersected? Where have you found points uh, where you've been able to kind of bring those two things together? In the first few years of the chocolate bar, as I mentioned, I, I ran quite a lot of events and talks and I did a lot of beer and chocolate tasting events and pairing events because I was so involved with the beer scene it was just a a natural go-to for me and I just really fell in love with pairing the two and yeah I was friends with you know a few of the breweries and so yeah that just all happened very naturally and I really 
enjoyed kind of using that to get people introduced to you know I introduced chocolate people to beer and beer people to chocolate (laughs) and I kind of loved that bringing people together across the two things a couple of years ago I created an exclusive limited edition chocolate box where I got four New Zealand chocolate makers to create alcohol infused Mm. bars it was called the grown-up chocolate box (laughs) and one of the bars for that um, I asked a brewery that I really like, Behemoth Brewery, to give us some of their coffee and maple stout, which we got a company to freeze dry. So, so we made it into a powder. And then my friend Clayton from Baron Hasselhoff's Chocolate Maker and created a, a beer and nuts bar. So it was a, a dark chocolate with the beer powder and then um, bits of toasted peanuts. And yeah, that was really, really delicious. That's interesting. That's not a technique I've seen. Most of the places that I've seen that are using beer are soaking the nibs in the beer, then drying yeah. the nibs back out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I just, I've been following this company who does this freeze drying and realizing that they could do liquids as well as, you know, more solids, which is more what they do. And just kind of really interested in that idea. And I saw they were doing some alcohols. And I was like, oh, I wonder what could happen. And yeah, I, I really liked it as a, it's just such a fun thing to tell people when you're explaining how the bar's been made and yeah. they're just like, their mind is blown. <laughs> did the flavor yeah. of the beer come over pretty directly from that process? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah. I was really, really happy with how the flavor, like it was definitely, it was subtle, but it was very much there. Yeah. And um, I think it worked really well. We used this Dominican Republic origin and yeah, it, it all balanced very nicely. Yeah. That's great. So let's talk about pairing a little bit. What are Mm. some general guidelines that you've learned to be good general rules for pairing beer and chocolate? I think something that I learned myself is to just always stay open to possibilities. You know, there's certain, I would say, safe pairings. If you give me a, a dark and malty beer, there's many different chocolates that I can find that will be like pretty safe to go mm-hmm. with that will be really nice and certain things that you know I always know will work well but I really love it when I find things that are just completely unexpected and I go ah okay you know it was a bit of a trial and error and wow this is just the most amazing pairing that I would never have predicted being open and, and trying lots of different possibilities yeah but but there are certainly certain styles that that pretty much always go well together you know, I, I love a Belgian triple for example with, with a salted caramel dark chocolate mm, it's yeah. such an obvious pairing but it can just be so so good and, and things <laughs> like that but I love the challenge of, of pairing with beers that are maybe a bit more challenging, where it's probably a little bit more specific, finding the right chocolate to go with it, you know, like certain sours or like really, really hoppy beers, I find it a more challenging to find the right match. And yeah, I kind of love that challenge. It's, it's more fun for me when I find the right pairing for a beer like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I agree that keeping your mind open is so important. There are so many things that beer pairs with very easily. So many other foods Mm -hmm. and chocolate is not one of them. Chocolate pairs beautifully with beer, but it can also pair really, really poorly with beer. Mm. And so like finding those right combinations is not always a linear line that you're following. And there are definitely surprises. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I used to run some events with uh, my friend Luke, who has a company called Beer Jerk, and they're an online store and subscription service. And we had some amazing sessions of just pulling out, you know, 10 beers and Mm -hmm. 
maybe 50, 60 chocolate samples I had and, and you know, just playing around. And uh, I just loved those sessions. I remember one one match we did for one of our events. It was a, a smoked sour with lemongrass and juniper. Just this wow. crazy beer. Yeah, it was really big flavors. And I was like, I just have no idea what's going to go with this. <laughs> um, and then we ended up finding Juan Chocanat from Colombia, their golden berry bar bright juicy bar and it was just amazing together you know and uh, Mm -hmm. yeah I would never have predicted that pairing but it worked so well and those are the moments where it's like yes this is this is fun (laughs) yeah for sure I remember when I first got into craft chocolate I started taking it into work and -hmm. like giving pieces to to staff or regular customers and being like how good is this you know And, and trying to spread my enthusiasm and I remember there was a maker here called White Rabbit Cacao who don't exist anymore. I remember very early taking in one of their bars and then putting it with our porter at work and just mm. really, really, yeah, that, that would have been one of the earliest pairings I ever did. And I, yeah, it was just so great realizing that that was a thing. Do you have beer styles that you tend to gravitate toward? I think that's something that constantly changes for me. Recently, as I mentioned, I was doing an article on spontaneous ferment beers. And, you know, I've been really, really into those for the past year or or two. I I find that a very exciting part of the beer world right now. I I tend to just gravitate towards the uh, peripheries and and the things that maybe aren't so common. And I just find the most interesting things happening in those areas. You know, I I love hazies, but I'm sure it's the same there over here. They're just completely everywhere and dominating. And it just gets boring for me when things go like that, you know, so. Yeah, we're sorry about that. I think we gave that to everybody. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's totally on you guys. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm really interested at the moment as well in the few people over here starting to play around with sort of beer wine and beer cider crossovers, and that I find really, really fascinating. I just had a, a Saison Fijoa cider sort of blend added together and then fermented together. And mm. yeah, that, that stuff I find very, very interesting. It is really interesting. Mm. I've had a cider that was dry hopped, uh, mm, but I haven't yeah. had an actual hybrid between them. Yeah, yeah. So it's there's, there's only a handful of people starting to play around with that over here. Yeah, because you, you're not allowed to blend the two. like legally oh, but you sure. can but you can sort of add them before they've started you know their fermenting process and and then you, you end up with that kind of hybrid and yeah I, I love people pushing the boundaries in that way we'll be right back hey everyone getting a cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career but how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study don't sweat because the beer scholar has you covered the beer scholar is a sponsor of bean to bar stool but i can tell you from personal experience years before i was doing this podcast how helpful the beer scholar study guides are They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. 
I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my level two exam many years ago. I wish the level three had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. How about on the chocolate side? Do you have origins or styles of chocolate that you tend to gravitate toward? Again, I, I find that's something that's constantly changing you know when I when I first got into the chocolate I was just really really excited by very fruity single origins you know because that was just so new those kind of flavors coming from the cacao and after tasting hundreds probably thousands of bars you know I, I probably started being more enticed by just crazy inclusion bars that were doing completely different things you know I still love single origin chocolate and Mm -hmm. but when you've tasted so much it's like you you start wanting to find the more exciting innovative things um but yeah it's it's totally changing and i've also found i've really started getting into the very dark stuff like around the sort of 90 percent i'm really really enjoying that recently but yeah it's it's always changing i'm really really excited at the moment about people using alternative yeast cultures in the fermentation Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. cacao there's only a few people playing around with that at the moment and I think that's just this untapped thing that could turn into a much bigger thing it just seems like there's there's so much experimentation that could be done there and new flavors that could emerge from that process and yeah I find that really exciting are there some notable examples that you've tried one I really loved was uh, the pump street chocolate they did the sourdough fermentation bar you know because they're a bakery and a chocolate maker and yeah they used some of their sourdough culture to start the beans and parliament chocolate they they years ago they did they did one with the belgian mm-hmm. beer yeast yeah but i haven't tried many i really want to get some of the the foo one ones and um, you mentioned in one of your episodes yeah. with the beer yeast it's it's not easy to get hold of of these things but excited to try more when you sit down to taste beer or chocolate, do you feel like there are different mindsets or different approaches that you bring to each of those or do they overlap pretty evenly? They both have different mindsets within themselves. Like there's different settings, you know, and I, I would mostly split it into two categories of by myself or social. And I love both of those experiences with both, but they're completely different when I'm by myself or, you know, just with my partner, I, really really like to focus everything on what I'm tasting and you know I even prefer not to have music on and and just really really get in the zone to taste everything and get the absolute maximum experience I'm certainly not doing that when I'm drinking or eating chocolate with friends in some ways you know you you get other great things out of that experience just just the joy of of sharing it with loved ones and whatnot and so yeah both both are really really special ways to taste but very very different experiences are there ways that you think your involvement with beer or chocolate has made you a better taster of the other or has informed your understanding of the other yeah definitely when i got into the chocolate i definitely feel like my background in in beer and food in general 
enabled me to just get it very quickly, you know, and I, I just found that I sort of instantly had the palate for it and was able to pick out the tasting notes. It, it just clicked with me so much and, and just the, the general concept of, of craft chocolate and small batch bean to bar, it just all made a lot of sense because of my background. But yeah, I think having that deep knowledge of, of both it's kind of exponential, right? It just all kind of grows and yeah, the, the tasting experience gets more and more the, the more you understand what's going on behind the scenes of both. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about New Zealand and what you have going on there. You have a chocolate festival in Wellington, right? We did. Yeah, we had the New Zealand Chocolate Festival here. It hasn't happened for a few years. Um, I'm not sure. It might come back at some point, but at the moment, it's not a great time for big events <laughs> like that. So yeah. it's kind of um, been paused. And then last year, I organized with Wellington Chocolate Factory the first ever craft chocolate festival here, uh, which was called Chockstock. And that was uh, more of a small festival. We had, I think, about 800 people over two days. Um, but that was, yeah, the first time we'd ever kind of got all the craft chocolate makers together in one place. And that felt like a real moment for the mm-hmm. industry here, of it being like a flag in the sand, if you like. And we got so much publicity for that. And it felt like a lot of people learned what craft chocolate was off the back of that festival. So, That's yeah. Cool. And I don't know if we'll do that again. Maybe we'll see what happens. <laughs> How many makers are there in New Zealand right now? 10 or 11. Yeah, so it's a very, very small scene here, but we only have 5 million people in New Zealand. So it's, uh, yeah, but there's a a couple more starting up over in Australia. They've got quite a lot now, maybe 40 or 50 even. And so it's a lot has happened in the past sort of four or five years. Before that, there was literally like two or three in New Zealand. So yeah, it's, it's starting to grow a lot faster. It's a tricky industry anywhere in the world, I would say, and particularly in somewhere small and remote like New Zealand, you know, with a, a small market. It's a challenge for the makers, but it's, it's great that it's happening here and, and the quality here is, is very high. Well, let's talk a little bit about the challenges and the opportunities that come with being in a small island country like New Zealand. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you feel like the beer and chocolate scenes face because of that? As I say, it's, it's the size of the market. You know, it's, it's very tricky. And probably more for the chocolate than the beer. I think the beer, there's, there's such a huge scene globally that the brewers can quite easily get into the international markets, you know? So generally breweries and chocolate makers do need to focus on getting into that international market if they're really going to make it. You know, not many people, not many companies are surviving entirely on just the New Zealand market. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the chocolate makers, I think breaking into the international market is, is a lot harder, you know, just because craft chocolate is less developed everywhere in the world really and there's not a huge amount of overseas shops looking to stock some unknown New Zealand craft chocolate mm-hmm. um, I think I think Hogarth is, is probably the main one that's, that's kind of managed to break into the international scene which is great to see and, and hopefully there will be more and I think for the chocolate makers the sourcing of cacao is is made quite difficult and expensive by being here when you're only wanting to order you know a few sacks or, or a pallet of beans at a time it's it's pretty difficult to do that and and the costs of importing are quite restrictive 
So we've, we've kind of had a few examples where some of the makers have clubbed together to, to bring in a larger shipment to make it more possible. There are various tricky logistical things like that, but at the same time, there are some advantages of, of being here, particularly in terms of sourcing ingredients. On the beer side, we have incredible hops mm-hmm. in New Zealand, you know, really one of the best places in the world for hops. So that is an exciting thing. But actually right now we have the Fresh Hop Festival going on, which has kind of grown over the few years of all the best breweries make make fresh hop beers around this time and mm-hmm. just really celebrate the incredible hops we have growing here. And then in terms of the chocolates, we are so close to the Pacific Islands. So it's quite special to have cacao growing so, so close. And, you know, that they're our neighbours and some great relationships forming there. And I kind of love that chocolate brings these different countries and different cultures together in that way. We're, we're doing our own thing over here, I would say. And it's, it makes us a, quite unique. So pros and cons to being somewhere so small and far away. How far outside of the cacao belt is New Zealand? I'm not sure in terms of like kilometers, but we, we definitely could not grow cacao here even in the far north. We're, we're almost there, but I'm not sure we'll ever, <laughs> at least in my lifetime, be able to grow cacao here. Cacao is a tropical tree that grows in a belt around the world 20 degrees north and south of the equator. Hops are a more temperate plant and prefer climates between 35 and 55 degrees north and south of the equator, though the most common band is even narrower than that. Some progress has been made in recent years to develop hops that grow outside that range, but success has been scant. To my knowledge, there is nowhere on earth hops and cacao can or could be grown together naturally. That doesn't stop craft brewers and chocolate makers from collaborating, of course, and I asked Luke if he's seen much collaboration between these industries in New Zealand. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Final Gravity Issue 4 is now available in the Bean to Barstool shop. This fourth issue of our zine telling intimate, human-centered stories from the world of beer is full of great articles, including Kate Power of Lady Justice Brewing talking about why she might be done with beer festivals, Ukrainian beer writer Lana Svetinkova writing about the Zeugel brewing tradition in Germany, UK writer Matthew Curtis talking about the blend of old and new in the Cascale tradition in Manchester, and many more. We believe passionately in this project, and if you believe the story of beer is ultimately a story about people and relationships, we think you'll love Final Gravity as well. You can order the new issue from our shop on beantobarstool.com, or you can also subscribe, including subscribing for your brewery tap room or break room, or you can subscribe and sign up to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash beantobarstoolzines. Now, back to the episode. A little bit, yeah. I'd like to see a lot more. There's definitely been a few um, breweries making chocolate beers in collaboration with chocolate factories here. Wellington Chocolate Factory is probably the main one. They've done beers with a few of of the Wellington breweries. When we did Chockstock, actually, there was a brewery across the road from that factory and they did an 8% chocolate stout, essentially, and that was extremely good. Yeah, mostly fairly traditional kind of chocolate stouts. Yeah, when I listen to your podcast and, and hear about the incredible things happening over there, I am, um, yes, I, I do have envy and, and I hope we'll, uh, we'll start seeing a lot more things like that 
happen over here. I did have one, there's a chocolatier here called Honest Chocolate and they collaborated with an amazing brewery called Sawmill to do a pale ale bonbon and mm. that was really, really nice. So yeah, hopefully we'll see more and more things like that happening. Craft beer has been around here in the U.S. for a little over 40 years and craft mm. chocolate is a lot younger than that as an industry and still a lot smaller. What do you think bean to bar chocolate could learn from the path craft beer has taken? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because it's certainly the industry that I think chocolate people look at in terms of aspiring to like, we want to try and make that happen. What happened with beer? How do we make that happen with chocolate? You know, and it's, <laughs> it's a challenge. You know, I think there are challenges with chocolate that beer didn't have to overcome. I think the main one is just around price. The price difference between a cheap beer and a good beer here, maybe you pay twice as much. Whereas a cheap chocolate to an expensive chocolate, you're looking at more like four or five times price. And, and that's because beer didn't have this history of sort of exploitation and slavery right. behind its core ingredient, you know? So it's like when you start trying to do the ethical thing, you suddenly have just this huge price jump. That takes time for consumers to, to get their head around. The premium product in, in whatever food or beverage sector is, is not such a huge jump. But something that chocolate can definitely learn from craft beer is, is about marketing. It's developing a lot and, and there's a lot more happening over where you are and, and in Europe. But I still think that chocolate marketing is, is maybe not quite at the level as, as what we see with craft beer marketing. And I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot to learn. And it, it's tricky for these smaller makers who are perhaps struggling to make a living and mm -hmm you know, working their socks off, it's tricky to have the, the time and money to focus so much on marketing, but there's definitely a, a lot to learn there, I would say. Especially um, when a substantial part of their budget is already going to packaging exclusively and then the elaborate art that feels kind of required at this point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And also um, the cost and difficulty of scaling up in chocolate is is so different to beer, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's very easy to sort of slowly grow your brewery more and more. Whereas with chocolate, it's like you kind of reach a point. It's like, okay, if I want to go bigger than this, it's kind of quite a big step to go to the next level and a huge amount of investment and equipment. Um, so those things are challenging as well. But yeah, it's, it's exciting to see. And, and we are seeing some makers here take that leap and become much, much bigger. And I look forward to seeing that continue. What about in the other direction? What could beer learn from craft chocolate? There's a very ethical and sustainable focus with a lot of the chocolate makers, which I don't see as much with a lot of the beer companies, you know, and, and there, there aren't nearly as many ethical issues, particularly around ingredients, but sustainability, you know, I, I think is, is not a, a major thing I see marketed in, in the beer world, at least over here. And Whereas with chocolate companies, it really is, you know, and I really like that about the craft chocolate industry. Yeah, so that, that's definitely something. Certainly, yeah, just that tight-knit friendliness, you know. Uh, the chocolate world here is, doesn't feel super, super competitive. Of course, there are competitors, but everyone is very friendly here, you know, and I kind of love that about the chocolate industry. It's feels very different to, to many other industries here where everyone is sort of willing to help each other share knowledge about equipment or where to source beans from and things like that it just is a, a very good vibe between all the makers 
That leads into the question of what pitfalls that beer has that that chocolate needs to avoid as it grows. And I feel like some of that competition issue is that chocolate isn't a saturated market yet. People are still discovering craft chocolate. And so if you can scale and if you can get it in front of people, you'll probably sell it. Where beer, Mm. things are getting a little crowded. Yeah, it's it's a major issue here. There's just way too many breweries for five million people in this country. It's it's crazy, um, and particularly here in Wellington, you know, when I when I first came here, there was probably two craft beer bars. I don't know how many there are now, but it's probably getting close to twenty, and it's completely oversaturated. So yeah, it's it's a big issue for for the beer world in in New Zealand and it sounds like maybe everywhere um so that's something that the the chocolate market is is so far from that I struggle to find craft chocolate when I go around in Wellington you know there's so much room for growth um so it'll be yeah interesting to see how that develops and I think that's where that uncomfortable competition comes in you started out as friends but then 15 years Mm -hmm. down the road suddenly this person really is taking your, some of your business away. You do have to outsell them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But um, yeah, hopefully, you know, the aim is always obviously to, to not take away from the other small Mm -hmm. guys, but to everyone gang together against the big guys. That's, that's the aim, but it doesn't always work out like that. (laughs) And on that point, craft beer started as these scrappy little companies that were trying to take back a tiny portion of market share from the big international brewers. Mm. And as craft beer has grown, the ability to define what craft beer is and who is a craft brewer and who isn't has gotten really muddy and really, really difficult to stake any kind of moral or ethical or or any kind of claim to like, oh, this is the reason this person's in the club and this person isn't. In chocolate, that's defined a little bit differently because you have those ethical concerns with sourcing. So is this Mm -hmm. an ethical company or is it not? But at the same time, I think eventually if craft chocolate grows, it's going to get to the point where those questions start getting asked about other things. If somebody is sourcing ethically, but they are making a huge amount of chocolate and they're able to undersell the rest of the market, is that a problem? Where do you see that going with chocolate? Do you think that's something that's coming down the road? Yes, to be honest, it's something that's already here, but in the other way, like, it's like we need to get to like the good point to then go into another bad point. But from where we are now, particularly in New Zealand, it's trying to like define craft chocolate and and get the public to understand it is so challenging and you know that was a lot of my work and and through the festival we organized was just like trying to get people to get it but at the same time just feels like every other month I see an article in the media like New Zealand's best craft chocolate or something and then there's stuff in there it's like these are just (laughs) chocolatiers using Barry Calibo like you know it's it's just like (laughs) trying to we're get we're still getting those here all the time too yeah yeah so it's like trying to get people to understand what it is when you're competing with mainstream media constantly not understanding and, and misrepresenting is is such a huge challenge and in chocolate you've got the added thing of whether it's bean to bar or, or whether it's a mm-hmm. chocolatier using curvature which is just another level of complexity for consumers to try and get their head around so yeah it's it's super challenging and um, to sort of create a you know, a fixed movement and, and notion of people. It's it's slowly spreading and 
there's definitely a lot more consumer knowledge now of, of what's going on, but it, there's a long way to go. But yeah, in, on the on the other side, I think probably not for about 20 years, at least in New <laughs> Zealand, you know, that there will be craft chocolate makers who I would consider craft chocolate who become a size where maybe that label is not appropriate, but I don't know where the line in the sand is. And I don't know if there needs to be a line in the mm-hmm. sand. For me, I'm not as much bothered about like size as much as just quality and ethics like for Mm -hmm. me that's that's just the main thing is if it's high quality ethical chocolate that still tastes as good as what the smaller makers are doing great we need that like I hope I hope a company doing exactly that gets as big as Cadbury you know like that would be amazing like you know if the the goal of craft chocolate is achieved it can't stay small if we're actually going to change the global cacao market and make it ethically sound it's going to be big it has to be yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so really it's it's just that quality and ethics it's flavor that the size is not such an issue i don't think yeah one of the things happening in beer at least here in the u.s is our major governing body for craft beer the brewers association is continually trying to do this tightrope walk of defining what is craft beer and who gets to be considered a craft brewer. Mm -hmm. And about five or 10 years ago, it became a completely irrelevant argument, but they're still having to do it to defend their existence. And obviously we're nowhere near that with chocolate, but from what you're saying, it sounds kind of like if craft chocolate is successful in getting that consumer recognition, it will be creating its own problem then that it has to solve after that fact of, okay, Mm. we got you to understand what craft chocolate is, but it's not this and this and this. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's a complex world. And and I think trying to put sort of black and white rules on something, it it just doesn't work in my opinion. Like things are so much more complex than that, you know, and, Mm. and things just don't fall into these brackets and, you know, sure you can have guidelines but yeah it it generally doesn't work i don't think when you when you try and put exact parameters on these things Um, Mm -hmm. because yeah there's just all different situations you know and and like for me my interpretation has changed as well of over the years that i've been doing it you know i used to be very strict like it has to be bean to bar Mm -hmm. that's all i'm interested in whereas now i'm like actually there's a couple of situations where this is probably something that i might not have classed as as craft chocolate before whereas now maybe I do you know I think of um, you know WM chocolate Mm. um Will Marx in Wisconsin and you know he stopped doing fully bean to bar but now works with the cacao company in the Dominican Republic they process the beans into mass and then he imports the mass it's still great chocolate he's still involved very much from start to finish and what he's doing is that more ethical more sustainable it's putting more money into the origin country more sustainable to import mass than beans which you get rid of half of what you're importing you know little things that it's like actually it's more complex and you need to remain open to people doing things a bit differently and, and it potentially being an improvement on the system you know like bean to bar chocolate making is, is my core passion but it's not so black and white for me anymore i want to see more chocolatiers using craft chocolate that's something yes. that Yes. is not even happening in New Zealand right now. There's been a couple of very limited edition collaborations, but it's just not a thing really here. And again, you know, I, I want to see way more of that happening, you know, and exciting to see all these different ways that it can grow in the future. 
I think any small movement runs the risk of becoming a purity cult if it tries to put down too many stakes in the ground. And yeah. I, I see a lot of times on Instagram, people making claims around small chocolate makers and, you know, they need to be small. This is, you know, they're doing all the work themselves or around it being bean to bar very strictly. And those things are noteworthy and they are things that have differentiated the movement from, from other chocolate, but they're not actually what this is about. You know, this is mm. about both ethics and flavor yeah. and ethics and flavor can be satisfied without it being a small company and without it being bean to bar even though those yeah. are probably the center line and those are the sort of spiritual center of, of what's happening. Mm. So it's going to be interesting to watch over the next five, 10, 15 years, how the industry as a whole kind of shifts on its feet to accommodate yeah. things that right now you can make claims about, but won't always be able to stay true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think also the the concept of being a, a, a very kind of small batch bean to bar chocolate maker, it's awesome. And there's so many amazing companies doing it, but it's not actually a great business model from what I've seen. <laughs> you know, like a, a lot of companies doing that are really struggling. It's difficult and upscaling and getting bigger it allows you to make a lot more change in the world and, and probably have a better lifestyle as, as a business owner, I would say. I see so many craft chocolate makers just working like crazy, you know, and they've got no money or time for marketing, as I said, and it makes it very difficult to kind of get, it can be a bit of a trap, I think. Now, when I speak with new makers starting up who have got like two little premier grinders and, and they're like, right, I'm going to launch. And I'm like, think about this, stop and have a serious think because Launching now with your two premier grinders is, is going to be a really long, hard path, you know, and, <laughs> and you might be better off thinking a bit longer, maybe looking for investment and, and starting a little bit bigger. And mm -hmm. because, yeah, I've seen so many makers fall into that trap. For those unfamiliar with these distinctions in craft chocolate, bean to bar chocolate is chocolate processed all the way from cacao beans to finished bar or other chocolate product by the maker. Couverture chocolate is chocolate made by one maker for the purpose of being sold to another maker to be melted and remolded into bars or other confections. If you're a beer lover, you can think of this latter form of chocolate as being something analogous to contract brewing, in which one brewery pays another brewery to produce beer for them. For a long time, there was a bit of a stigma, one that can still exist, as you heard Luke and I discuss, against makers working with Kuvature chocolate rather than processing their own cacao from bean to bar, even when the cacao for that Kuvature was ethically sourced and skillfully processed. Hopefully, we will continue to see this attitude disappear. On a lighter note, I asked Luke about his favorite beers and chocolates from the last couple months. Beer-wise, as I said, I've been having a lot of these spontaneous ferment beers. We have a brewery here called Craftwork, who I'm actually going to visit on Friday. They're, they're down on the South Island, and they're probably my favorite New Zealand brewery. Every year they do a, a terroir blend, and um, where they combine with sort of one or two other spontaneous breweries. There's only a handful doing it in New Zealand, and the other breweries send them a barrel, and then they blend it with one of their barrels, and I just love that whole yeah. <laughs> concept and, and I, I'm very, very into terroir in general and, and seeing something that's so directly connected with where it's from is it's fascinating. Chocolate, there's just always so many chocolate bars around my house. The, the Foundry Chocolate 90% Papua New Guinea has been my go-to for the past couple of weeks. I really love having that and it's chocolate that I'll have in the morning because it's not too sweet and I, 
I love having a piece uh, with my cup of tea in the morning. I'm a big tea person as well. I'm going to visit Ocho Chocolate Factory in, in Dunedin as well, going down south um, for Easter weekend. And they were one of the first bean to farm makers in New Zealand. And I visited them when they started out um, in a tiny, tiny little factory. And since then, they've crowdfunded $2 million and grown a lot. So I'm looking forward to seeing their factory. And they've got a new Vanuatu single origin that I'm looking forward to trying. Yeah. That can be a beautiful origin. Mm, yeah, yeah. I find it almost all the Vanuatu bars I've had it very, very fascinating, but at the same time, very accessible. I think it's an origin with huge potential because it's one that I think could really break into more of a mainstream market. It's really, really approachable without being boring. I love beer and I love chocolate. And I am so encouraged every time I get to talk with someone as excited about both as I am. Thanks so much to Luke for coming on the show and sharing his insights. You can find information about Chalkstock, the New Zealand Chocolate Festival he organizes, in the show notes, as well as a link to his Instagram account. And I'll share his article about spontaneously fermented beers for pursuit of hoppiness as soon as it becomes available online. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool. Bean to Barstool.